welcome back, Richard. There is um, there's a, there's about a million things that we could talk about this week. Right. Um, it's been an eventful week. It, it has been, and you know there are um, well, you could just about you would have to intentionally avoid. Uh, the internet and social media to to not see um, things that have been written about this week, things that have been that are being said about this week, uh, the effects of this week. Um, so, but we're not going to. I'm waiting for somebody. I'm waiting for somebody to say, "Oh, I hadn't heard about that. What did something happen this week that? No, it's been um, an eventful news week. Yeah, yeah. My my experience in the school is just a Wednesday. You just kind of just say say the day of the week, and everybody knows exactly what you're talking about. Right, right. Yep. No, it was it was an unprecedented week, um, and it's still the the pot is still boiling. Of course, oh, yeah. this whole thing is still very much with us, and it's very tempting. It's really tempting to weigh in on these issues, but but this is a this is a psychology podcast, not a not a political one. Um, Stephen Colbert and others are doing a. A job, you know, many people are. Com everybody's commenting on this. Everybody on, from every political across the political spectrum, right. um, they're all commenting on it. It it was what happened is important. Um, important constitutional questions and political questions, and it's tempting not to weigh in, but that's not our job. And um, I think earlier, about two years ago, pediatricians were told to stay in their lane when they were discussing gun safety. So we thought, well, let's um, let's stay in our lane mm -hmm. and talk about what what is relevant for us. Right. Um, the two issues, um, I think, that the two biggest issues, of course, was the uh, storming of the Capitol building, and the other is the recent surge in the pandemic. Well, um, the the ongoing surge, and and you know, certainly don't get us wrong. Um, th there are psychological consequences uh to the the surging of the, the surge from the pandemic also right. the surge into the capital um th there are psych psychological consequences of that but um but yeah you know th there's been a lot that's already been said about that stuff right right and, and you know last week we talked about uh, some about the pandemic and the numbers involved and and last week we were talking about 3,000 people a day who were dying of this, which is the equivalent of eight jump, um, jetliners falling, and the death rate continues to increase. So now we're up to almost 4,000 a day. You know, and this this disease that all of us have come to hate um, is it it almost seems as though it's surging out of control. So while you have these political events in D.C. and other state capitals this pandemic continues to, to sweep across the country. And um, so we have two events here. What I think what struck us about this past week is we have two events, the, the, the um, events in Washington, DC, the riots and the pandemic, neither of which we can do anything about. Right. We have no control over those two things. One is, a, one is a political event that most of us were not directly involved in, we had no control over. And the other is a disease that we can't seem to contain um, effectively. And it's spreading across the world. I guess every, most countries now are, are reaching uh, critical levels again. And um, there, there's talk about uh, rationing oxygen in some cities because we're running out. And so we find ourselves once again in this 
um, very distress, this distress and discomfort of feeling that things are happening that we don't have any control over. And when that happens, we tend to, um, we tend to um, either give in right. to that or um, we learn how to manage it. Right. And there's a there's a there's all kinds of literature about these two things, and I think particularly about all those rat studies where they shock the feet right. of the rat. Right. Yeah. They've done and they've done those studies with rats, with um, dogs, with fish, with and we can certainly observe it with humans. And um, you know the the whole idea they, they refer to that, of course, is um, a phenomenon called learned helplessness. Right. And, um, who was it, Martin, um, Martin Seligman, Seligman right. mm -hmm. you know, coined that term and, and has written about it extensively. Right. Um, and, and it's the idea that when, you know, if you're, if you fail or if you're punished um, enough, mm -hmm. stop trying. Um, and right. so what they would do is, um, you know, we, we, and we've talked about this on previous podcasts, but, um, and, and you, you mentioned the fish last week um, yeah. in the podcast. Mm -hmm. You know, they would, so talking about the fish experiments, they, they had a big fish tank and they put a very uh, a clean piece of glass in the middle of the um, fish tank and the poor fish would, would swim and he would bump into the glass because he couldn't see it, bump into the glass. And, you know, after a period of time, he would stop bumping into the glass, even though he could see that there was everything on the other side, um, he mm -hmm. would stop and they could remove the glass and he would still stay on that half of the fish tank, even though there was no glass there, they, he would just stop trying um, and right. not, um, not attempt to get over there because he didn't want to get hurt anymore. So right. yeah. um, and that's learned helplessness. Right, that's right. And then, and we also have um, evidence of the same thing with uh, prisoners of war, right. or prisoners, uh, you know, with the famous stories by Viktor Frankl and other concentration camp survivors is, how did some and some people simply give up you know you have no control and right. you simply give up and you give in whereas other people somehow find a way to maintain what we call agency the the ability to withstand um all of these uh, to somehow survive um situations where you have no control mm -hmm. so it made us th these events of the past week uh, made us think of that that issue of learned helplessness versus agency and one of the things that um, that psychologists tell us about these issues is that if you are feeling anxious or depressed um, or uneasy or um, distressed or uncomfortable, um, you don't have to have a psychological condition. You can just be feeling distress, sort of garden variety distress. It may it can be traced back to the conversations we have with ourselves, because the story you tell yourself has a direct bearing on how you feel and what you will do. Uh, Viktor Frankl talked about that. You know, he, he entered the concentration camp and, and decided early on that he would somehow manage what he could. Uh, we talked about Scott Kelly, the astronaut, um, a couple of weeks ago. And Scott Kelly said, there's much that I couldn't control. I, I, I couldn't step out of the spacecraft and go for a walk. Um, but there was much that I could control. And so so we see this pattern across settings, whether it's a prisoner of war or an astronaut or, and it all relates to how we manage what 
first appear to be uncontrollable certain, like we can't do anything about this, okay? And that's what we're gonna talk about today. And, and the discussion begins with the way, the conversation we have with ourselves, okay? And um, we've all heard that idea that you can't control what happens, you can only control <clears throat> your response to what happens, okay? So in all likelihood, if you're feeling distressed, if you're feeling stressed, distressed, the chances are that you are having a negative conversation with yourself. And the first step is to, um, is to change the negative self-talk. And because it's the negative self-talk that's making us miserable. We can't do anything about the events, but how we talk to ourselves about ourselves and about the events um, begins to give us some, regain some control. Well, um, I think that, because um, I think that's something that's important for most people to recognize is that we are, we are more cruel to ourselves than others are. Um, and we are more cruel to ourselves than we would typically be to others. Right. Um, so we say worse things to ourselves than we would say to someone else. We think worse things about ourselves than we would think about someone else. Right. And, and, and those um, negative thoughts, negative statements to ourselves have a cumulative effect. Right. Um, you know, it, it's pretty clear that, you know, in um, uh, Aaron Beck referred to those as cognitive distortions, right? right. Um, mm -hmm. he, he said that when we have some of those negative, negative self-talk, that um, we begin to generalize and globalize. Um, and, you know, it, instead of, I failed this test, it's, um, I'm a failure. Right, I'm and stupid, right. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, if you didn't uh, accomplish a goal, um, it's not, um, I'm gonna have to try again, it's, I'm a failure. Um, right. And so we have this negative self-talk and it becomes, if we're not careful, it can become a pervasive pattern of behavior that, um, that affects decisions that we make, um, the way that we, uh, our, our confidence, our um, motivation, it, it can affect a lot of things in our life. Right. And I think if you think about it as a spectrum, at one end of the spectrum, you have the narcissist who says, who thinks that he's absolutely telling the narcissist, tell, narcissist tell themselves that they are flawless, that nothing is their fault, that I am perfect. At the other end of the spectrum is you have the the, the person who's constantly um, t telling himself or herself a negative story. And I think most of us, when we evaluate ourselves, tend to move toward that negative side. We tend to be pretty hard on ourselves. Absolutely. Um, we, we, we say things, the, the story that we tell ourselves, the messages that we tell ourselves are, and you're right, it's not that I didn't do well on the test, it's I'm not a good student. You know, that, that phrase, I'm not good at math. Uh -huh. And it's another example that, no, it's not that you're not good at math. It's that you have to learn how to succeed in math, whatever you have to do to succeed. Um, and right. so we tend, and I think you're right, we tend to view ourselves, uh, to evaluate ourselves pretty, pretty harshly. Right, no, absolutely. And, and I think that, not that this is where the discussion is going, but this gets us back to, you know, allowing our kids to fail sometimes. Right, exactly. We grow mm -hmm. up without failure right it's that discomfort you know you have no idea how to handle those situations right. yeah because when you when you allow your children to fail you're not teaching them that they're failures you're teaching them how to handle disappointment 
Right. That's a huge difference between the two. Okay. And so what we want, what we're going to talk about today is what are these negative messages that we give ourselves? And then in the second um, article that we're going to talk about this morning, it's um, it's about the life of a fascinating individual. I had, had not heard of him before, uh, the, but it provides additional instruction for uh, learning how to live well. Okay, so, so on the one hand, we want to say, let's get rid of the negative self-talk and let's replace it with what people are using to live a life well. Okay. Yeah. So the first article was five that we talk about five types of negative self-talk that makes us miserable. And um, <clears throat> so we all have this ongoing conversation with ourselves. Um, and in this inner dialogue, we, evaluate, we tend to evaluate ourselves um, in very negative terms. Um, and when we do that, we tend to become um, unhappy or anxious or depressed, okay? So this article pre presents the five most common negative self-talk scripts uh, that make people miserable. Absolutely. And, and, and I think that these are, these are massively important. And, and it was great to read some of these because um, I, I certainly, I know that I use them a lot when I work with patients um, mm -hmm. because, you know, we have to, oh, well, we'll see as we're going through it, you can see how important some of these things are. And so the first, um, the first one is judging your emotions. Mm -hmm. And, and what, I, what I really like about this is that, and again, this is the, one of the first ones that made me think of, you know, things that I talk to my patients about, and that is, you know, feeling an emotion is okay. Right. There's nothing wrong with feeling an emotion. If you, if you have a friend um, mm -hmm. that you know who has COVID and they're in the hospital and you're really worried about them, it's okay to be scared and sad and angry. And it's okay to feel that wide range of emotions. But instead, what we're talking about here is instead of accepting that we feel that way, we get upset with ourselves and tell ourselves that we shouldn't be feeling that way. Right, right. I shouldn't feel angry. I shouldn't feel sad. I shouldn't feel this. I shouldn't feel that. And, and I think you make, they make a good point. They say, it's like feeling bad that you're short. Right. You know, there's there's nothing you can do. Feelings, feelings occur. And it's not that you should or shouldn't. And there, there are 320 some emotions. And right. you're going to feel them. You're going to have these emotions. We tell children, it's okay to be angry. You just can't hit somebody when you're angry. Right. You know, you can't hit your brother when you're angry. Um, the feeling is okay. So don't judge you, don't don't be hard on yourself because you're having feelings. Right. Yeah, I, I think it's we, we did a podcast maybe a year ago. Mm -hmm. on um, uh, metacognitive therapy and mm -hmm. so instead of saying um you know man i shouldn't be feeling this way perhaps we should ask ourselves why am i feeling this way you know, why is this making me angry why is it making me angry that this friend of mine um that i love has covid and is in the mm -hmm. hospital uh, right. what is making you feel that way because you're scared you're worried about them and you wish right. that you had some control over it right yeah and feeling and feeling should motive feeling should just be a sign it should it's a little feelings are like a tap on the shoulder saying hey something isn't quite right right now let's see what we should do about it absolutely yeah and, and maybe stop categorizing emotions as these are good emotions and these are bad emotions mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as well because right. All emotions are just emotions. It's just they're just you... emotions. Don't don't give them value when, right. when they when they shouldn't have it. Okay. 
Okay. Uh, Self-labeling. Yes. Um, why am I so... <laughs> Fill in the blank. Right. Um, we, we, we tend to do this. And again, it's, it goes back to that Aaron Beck um, uh, issue of, of cognitive distortion. Mm-hmm. We generalize. Whenever something specific happens, we generalize and apply it to everything. You know, I failed a test. Why am I so stupid? Why am mm-hmm. I so bad at math? As you said, um, no, you didn't do well on one test. Right, right. But, you know, right. algebra is hard. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> right, especially algebra too. <laughs> yeah. So, right. Yeah. yeah, you know, humans. We we are infinitely complex and nuanced, and um, you know, we, we hear this in students all the time, but all of us do it. Um, you know, I, we see people who have relationships that have that have broken. Okay, um, and and they come in and and all that happened was this relationship failed. It's not that you're not good at relationships. It's not that you can't have relationships. It is simply that this particular relationship didn't work. So don't don't call you don't label yourself. And certainly don't let anybody else label you. You decide who you are. But when you decide who you are, don't leap to these generalizations about yourself. You, you, you did poorly on one assignment. That doesn't mean you're not good at math, you know, because you, because you failed one class. I know people who failed entire courses in math and today are engineers. Right. Okay, so, so that, you know, you're not, it's not that you're not good at math. It's not that you're stupid. It's that you did poorly on one test. So fix that problem. Absolutely. So stop reducing yourself to a label. Right. It takes courage to own your own story and to still love yourself. It's okay. You know, it's, it's hard to, to say, okay, I failed the test, but I still, I, I'm still okay. You know, I'm still, I'm, I'm not stupid. I'm not lazy. I'm not dumb. Right. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Don't wait for inspiration. I love this one. Yeah. This one's good. This is my favorite of all five. Yep. All right. Because people say, well, I just don't feel like it, or I'm just not up to it, or I don't feel good today, or I don't. Well, truth is, it's easy to be dedicated and devoted when you're feeling good. Okay, it's when. You, but people who get good at things practice all the time, whether they're feeling good or not. And the, he uses the example of Michael Jordan, who probably didn't just practice when he felt like it. He probably practiced every day, whether he felt like it or not. Um, exercise is a good example. Diet is a good example. Being nice is a good example. Being a parent is a good You can't be a parent just when you feel like it. You have to be a parent every day. Okay? You can't take, can't take your dog for a walk when you feel like going for a walk. You gotta take your dog for a walk twice a day, every day. Right. And, and, and not wait for inspiration. And it makes me think too about um, you know when people get those that are really upset that mm-hmm. they can't take that next step in life, um, but yet they are waiting for the right time. Uh, and I'm using air quotes there. They're waiting for the right time to to take an action or, or to do something. But then they have all that sort of self talk about you know well I'm just not I'm just not able to do it. I just can't get it done or it's just not the right time and all these things and you know you have to you have to create your inspiration sometimes do you remember that book we talked about a book called the defining decade 
right. the, the decade of your 20s. And men, uh, frequently students will graduate from high school or graduate from college. And they'll say, well, I'm not sure what I want to do. So I'm going to take a year off or I'm going to take some time. I'm going to take a gap year and sort of float around and do nothing. And like, one gap year turns into two gap years. And then you get a part-time job and then that doesn't work out. And, and you sort of never get on with your life because you sort of wait. Well, I'm not sure what I want to do. So I'm kind of waiting around to decide what I want to do. No, you have to do, you have to get up every morning and you have to do something useful, something important, something instructive. You can't wait around for inspiration. Absolutely. Now, now this the other one is- One of my favorites. Which one? You have to stop mind reading. Mind reading, right, right. And we're all guilty. Absolutely. You know? You know I know what, what you think, yeah. It is, it is not, we, we have to get to a point where we can uh, recognize that it is not my job to evaluate your feelings. Right. Um, and, and, and I don't know what they are. Right. You know, we all, you know, if, you some reason, know, if you think a certain thing, you have to let me know because I can't, because I will be wrong most of the time. Yeah. Right. If, right. If I, if I assume, if I think I know what you're thinking, I'm probably wrong. You know, one of the things that tickle me about being a psychologist is that people say, oh, you're analyzing, you know what I'm thinking, or you, because you're a psychologist, you know how I'm thinking, you know what I'm thinking. I really don't. <laughs> the only way I'm going to know what you're thinking is if you tell me, because <laughs> if I guess, I'm probably going to get it wrong. I, I remember years ago, um, an attorney hired me to work with um, a, a client to, to figure out if he had, uh, it was a family law case, and he, to, to figure out if he had done something um, you, you know, done something that was considered abuse, uh, physical abuse um, to a child. And, right. um, and I said, I mean, okay, you know, I'll interview the guy. I'll see what, what I can find out. And I interviewed him and, you know, I asked him all about it and everything. And he denied everything and he didn't say, so I went back to the attorney and I said, you know, yeah, he's, you know, he says he didn't do anything. And that, you know, I, I don't, there was nothing that he said to make me think that he, he goes, well, can't you figure out if he really did it or not? I go, like, how, how do you want me to do that? I don't, I don't, if he doesn't tell me that he did something, I don't know how to tell if he did something. So right. We can't, we don't want to read each other's minds. No, no. It wasn't anyways. Right. No, we, we really don't have that capacity. Um, and even, even as a psychologist, um, we, we can't guess or assume that we know how another person, what another person is thinking or how another person feels. If you're concerned, ask. And that's really the best advice. If I want to know how somebody's thinking, you, you have to ask, they have to tell you. And the last one is fortune telling. You know, one of the things that we're beginning to learn now is people, most of our stress comes not from what's happened, but what we think is going to happen in the future. Anticipatory. Right, right. That, um, and and one, of the, one of the negative self-talks we make is, oh, oh, this is going to happen, or this is going to happen, or that's going to happen. We can never know how things are going to turn out. Um, there's no, um, there's, there, but we have this belief that the future is going to be bleak. Well, if you think the future is going to be bleak, it's probably going to turn out that way. If you think it's going to be horrible, you're probably going to, you're probably going to discover that it is horrible. On the other hand, if you think it's going to be if things are going to turn out right or that you can make things turn out right, chances are things are going to turn out right. So don't predict that the future is going to be disastrous. Right. It, it's, it, it all comes down to um, confirmation bias. Right. 
you know, um, if you think things are going to turn out bad, you're going to identify lots and lots of examples of how it's bad. Right. Um, right. So, you know, let, let's not think about it negatively. You don't know what's going to happen. You, you, you may have a good idea mm-hmm. of what's going to happen, but you don't know for certain. Right. So, you know, you know, let's, let's not focus all of that attention and all that energy in the pessimism of uh, future thinking. Right. Yeah. If you want to be optimistic, stop predicting the future, you know, just deal with what you have. Right. So the take home message from these five types of of negative self-talk are that how you talk to yourself really does determine how you habitually feel. If you're constantly giving yourself negative messages, you're going to feel negative. You're going to feel sad or anxious or depressed, okay? Um, So if you want to feel happy, if you want to feel more confident, you need to unlearn those, uh, the negative self-thinking, the negative self-talk that are keeping you miserable. Now, that's easier said than done. And you can do that just by acknowledging and saying, oh, I shouldn't be thinking that way. Right, right. And... Changing your negative self-talk or what you should do about negative self-talk is probably more difficult. It's easier said than done. Sure. You know, very frequently we'll tell people, well, you have to change the way you think. And they'll come back the next week and say, well, I, I, I can't just change the way I think. You're right. You can't simply sit in a chair and say, okay, I'm going to be positive now. Right. And, and, and the best analogy is, okay, I'm going to be, um, I'm going to uh, run a marathon tomorrow. No, you're not. Not unless you ran one a month ago. Um, if you're not a seasoned runner, you're not simply going to run a marathon. Or I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out and play a round of golf today, and I'm going to shoot par. I'm going to, I'm going to be a par golfer today. Um, I've never held a golf club before, but I'm going to go out and, and hit, you know, um, I can do what Messi can do on a soccer pitch. You know, yeah. you can't do, you can't do any of this stuff without practice. Okay? Right. And you're not going to change negative thinking without practice to right. get better at this is going to require some work. And that's what the second article that we want to talk about is how do you do this? Well, it's going to take a little bit of work. Well, and, and, you know, I, I think that the other part of it is that um, about the negative self-talk is, in my mind, it's, it, it's akin to the evolutionary um, system for protection. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is much wiser for us as a, for a, as a force of survival to think right. about negative, what, what negative could happen, because then we're prepared. True, that's right. So, so we think about things in this negative sense because then we're prepared for the negative. Um, and, and that makes complete sense when you're walking around the jungle. That's true. The, the positive stuff isn't going to kill you. It's the negative, dangerous stuff that's going to kill you. Right. So if you're walking in the jungle and there's a rustling in the bush, it's probably better to think of it as a jaguar than it is to think of it as, you know, a food source. Um, right. So, right. you know, that keeps us alive. We live in a world today that's not dangerous in that sense. It, it's not brain, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, algebra test does, is not the same thing as a jaguar mm-hmm. in the bushes. Right. And we, right. Our body, our, our 
brain kind of treats them the same. And so right. we think of that negative angle to keep us surviving. Yeah, it really, it really is adaptive in many circumstances you know, right. to, to, to be on alert for those sorts of things. Um, but in, in the world today, we don't have the sort of imminent dangers around every corner. If you're in a jungle, you do. But if you're if you're in a uh, uh, you're in most cities you don't. You know, right. which is that's why it's that's why it's so difficult because it is sort of a a natural instinct for us to think that way mm-hmm. and to do that. And that's why we see these people who are you know ridiculously optimistic, and we look at them like like they're aliens or something. Okay, There's something wrong. So positive all the time, right. and it's because they are very different because it is a natural tendency to to think more negative. Yeah, it's odd to see that um, that um, the uh, the optimist, you know, is consistently optimistic, and you say, "What's wrong there?" You know, they must be must be hiding some deep secret somewhere. Mm-hmm. Only because it's odd, because most of us are, tend to be negative and cautious, and we are especially hard on ourselves. Absolutely. Okay. So, how do we change our thoughts so that we're? And you and I don't like the word happy. We um, that doesn't really resonate. Um, but what about just being content? Okay, how do we how do we get to content? And one way is to take instruction from somebody who seems to have achieved that. And um, the title of this article is Five Lessons About Living Well from the World's Happiest Man." Well, I, I had when I saw that title, I was I gotta I gotta figure this. I want to know who the world's and and how did they determine that he was the world's happiest man? I was I don't want to do that. Well, as it turns out. Um, the research on this guy was done by a neuroscientist at the University of Wisconsin um, by the name of Richard Davidson. And Richard Davidson is very, very well known in the neuroscience community. He's been at this a very long time. And um, so he hooked up this guy. Uh, this guy, is his name is Matthew Ricard. He's a, a French he's from Paris. And so they hooked him up to a 256 channel. Uh, typically, if you do an EEG, you do 26 channels. If you're really sophisticated, you do 128. Richard Davidson does 256. It takes about four hours just to hook 256 electrodes to somebody's head. So think of 256 electrodes on your head. And um, so they hooked him up to this. And what they learned, to their surprise, was that he produced a level of gamma waves, and we'll talk about gamma waves in a second, that they had never seen before. There's a, there's a typical pattern of electrical waves that come out of your brain, and one of those, one of the five waves is a gamma wave <clears throat> that has a certain um, uh, speed, a certain, um, what, what, what am I looking for? Uh, what is it? The frequency and amplitude. Right, now how quickly it, it moves. And, Gamma waves are associated with attention and learning and memory and, and especially positive thinking. And he produced much of this out of the left frontal part of his brain. Right. And we know that people who don't produce that tend to be depressed. Richard Davidson showed years and years ago, 20 or 30 years ago, that if you don't have enough electrical activity in the uh, left frontal lobe, you tend to be, people who are depressed tend to, tend to do that. Um, this guy produced an, an abnormal amount mm-hmm. of uh, gamma waves in the left prefrontal cortex. And so it was determined that he had an extraordinary amount of happiness 
and far less depression and sadness than most other individuals. So based on that, he's the happiest man. He's decided that he was the happiest man in the world. But, but he, he, has, um, he has an interesting history because at, at, the, at the age of 20, yeah. he converted to Tibetan Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, then he later became a PhD in, uh, in, a PhD in cell, cell, cellular genetics. Right. So, you know, smart guy, right. <laughs> um, you know, who started practicing this um, very mindfully based, um, mm-hmm. you know, religious perspective of Tibetan Buddhism. And right. um, he spends a lot of time in the Himalayas and, you know, yeah. just does a lot. Yeah, of- they say he's, he spends as much time in the Himalayas as he does in his laboratory. So he seems to divide his time, but he's become a Tibetan, essentially a Tibetan monk. Um, and so he has really learned over time. He has, and I remember he started when he was 20. And so he's now probably in his 40s or later and, and probably in his 50s now. Um, and he has, he has practiced this stuff over the years, okay? And so he has learned, now he knows that most people can't go to the, most of us aren't gonna go to the Himalayas and become Tibetan monks. But he said, there are things you can do. So, so what we want to do is say, is what he's doing, what he's providing is he's saying, this is one way to accomplish this, okay? I know that most of you can't go to Tibet and devote your life to becoming a, a Buddhist monk, but here are five things that you can do that will, that will um, make your life better. This is, this, this is the way to make your life better, to be happier, to be more content. Right. And the first one goes right along with something we were talking about a few minutes ago as it relates to practicing. Right. We want to practice avoiding that negative self-talk. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about training your mind by practicing happiness. Right. Yeah. It's not automatic. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. It's not always a default. Um, yeah. Being happy isn't always a default. And, and sometimes you have to um, I, I always just refer to it as being intentional. You, know, mm-hmm. you have to be intentionally happy sometimes. You right. know, I'm going to be happy right now. Everything right. else sucks, but I'm going to be happy right now. Because your default setting might be, as we said at the beginning of the podcast, might be more negative. Right. So, so we tend, as a speaker, we tend to be a little bit negative. So it takes practice mm-hmm. to move yourself toward the positive. And that's all you're doing. Think of it as a scale, you know, and you're moving from the negative to the positive but it doesn't happen automatically. You're not just gonna talk yourself into it. There, there are things that you have to do. You, and you, I think you've already done this, uh, Bernie. Uh, today we have apps right. that you can use that really um, walk you through this, mm-hmm. okay? Didn't you get the Calm app at one point? Yeah, um, yeah. and there's so many apps, it's um, mm-hmm. ridiculous. But yeah, there's Calm and Headspace and, Sativa is the way that what it changed its name to. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, this other one, there's a, so there's a variety of them. But yeah, there's lots of apps that you can use that will help you right. focus your attention and mind and thoughts on more pleasant and happy mm-hmm. thoughts as opposed. Yeah. To- <clears throat> so he says, start start your training 15 minutes a day. That's all you have to do. Just take 15 minutes a day and use one of these apps that you like, like many people come in and, and we talk about this as well, I'm not, I'm not doing that, that's hippie stuff, you know, that's tree hugging hippie. No, find something that works for you. You know, whatever works for you, look through these apps, um, think about what you're willing to do 
um, and what you can do, what you have time to do, find one that works for you and use it. And, and you, will, you can gradually practice. And one of the reasons that they ask some of these things that we're talking about here are better than other things that we use for being happy is because it creates a script. In right. your, so like, for example, a lot of people find happiness in playing video games. Right. Well, that's great, but you, you, know, you can't, if you don't have the video game in front of you, it's not helpful. Right. You know, what these apps will do is they, they create a script of um, ways to think because you know, the, the, the um, guided meditations and guided um, scripts tell you what to think or what to do. And as you listen to them, you learn them and then you can internalize them so that you can say them to yourselves even if you don't have the app in front of you. Right, that's right. And that's what you're doing is you're internalizing, you're giving yourself a script, um, the words to use to, right. to talk yourself through it, right? So one is train your mind. That takes practice. And, and he tells you in the end that you don't have to take 15 minutes. You might take three five-minute segments. You may take five minutes in the morning, five in the afternoon, five at night. You may do 15 one-minute segments. You know, it's whatever works for you, okay? But do your training. It, it's going to take a little bit of work to, to accomplish this. The second one is become more benevolent. We've seen this before. That if you want to feel good about yourself, do things for other people. Right. Okay. Success comes not from getting, not from getting the latest gadget. You know, the, the people who pursue that, um, who are always, if I have this, I'll feel better. If I get this car, if I get this iPhone, if I get this hairdryer, um, you know, that'll make my and 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 it's not. Um, it's people who are generous to others, um, who are shown to be healthier, happier, more content. It's what you do for others. Right. And I know, Richard, you and I have talked about this, both on the podcast, as well as just personally, just, just the two of us talking about, you know, we have a history of, um, you know, you set a goal, and then you achieve that goal. But oftentimes, what we do is instead of celebrating and, and experiencing it, we start immediately saying, okay, what's the next goal? And so you have this endless pursuit of the next. We say, um, well, we can't do that now, but um, you know, as soon as this happens, then I'll be happy. Or you know, if only I had this, then I would be happy. And then we, then we gain that or we, we achieve that, that goal. And then we say, okay, um, that's not quite the happiness or the expectation I had. So what's next? What are we going to do next? And it just will never, ever end. Um, and yeah, it, it, I think that much of the, the, you know, if we think about the meaning of life is really, is, is that what are we doing for each other? Um, because nothing feels better than when, when you're helping somebody else. We, we talked about, um, we talked about that the other week with um, altruism. Right. Right. Yeah, getting, getting, and getting the next thing um, for yourself doesn't, as it turns out, doesn't bring happiness. Because if you're constantly pursuing, and we're going to talk about this later, if you're only happy, if you're only happy when you get the next thing, you're never going to be happy because then you have to go on to the next thing. You never enjoy what you have, where you, you never enjoy what you have and where you are, because the only way you think that you're going to be happy is if you get the next thing, okay? Or if you, right. And, and, but true happiness comes from, um, 
or he defines success. How, how do you live a successful life? It comes from self-fulfillment that so that you can affect others in positive ways. And that's what true, that's where contentment comes from. And you think of Bill Gates or these other, you know, fabulously wealthy, but Bill Gates has done a lot for a lot of people. And I think if you sat down with him, he would probably say that doing things for other people has been more sustaining than acquisition. You know? And we, we have all kinds of stories about people who only acquire for themselves and, and don't really share that with others. Uh, that's not happiness, that's not contentment. So it's what you do for them, become more benevolent. If you wanna feel better about yourself, become, if you wanna be healthier, if you wanna be happier, do more for other people. Do one thing, just one thing per day that is done for somebody else to make somebody else's life better. That's what he recommends. Absolutely. The, the don't sweat the small stuff. Don't sweat the small stuff. Don't don't worry about things. There's, there's little things that that we tend to allow to accumulate. Right. Um, you know, we, we that old um, making mountains out of molehills and, and things. Right. It, it's it's not as most things are not as significant and, and serious and detrimental as we think it is. Didn't somebody say, don't sweat the small stuff, comma, and it's all small stuff? There's a book. That's yeah, it. somebody, there's a book or something about most of it's small. Yeah. It's not, is it, so you, he said, Ricard says, ask your, do two things. First of all, is it really worth worrying about? Right. You, have to, you have to seriously think, is this really worth worrying about? and then write it down. And he said, in writing it down, it will diminish, it will get smaller. Right. And there's something about the process of writing it down. And I think what writing it down does is it makes you more mindful. Mm -hmm. and, and you begin to say, oh, this really isn't a big, you know, when I look at it on paper, it's really not a big deal. Right. Or, or you might even have a hard time articulating what you're feeling. And you say, oh, maybe I don't feel that way. Maybe, maybe it's not as bad as I thought. I was going to say, that's the one that I noticed the most is um, I will think, I will feel like I am so overwhelmed with things and mm -hmm. that something has really upset me. Right. And I'll start to talk to somebody about it and I'll think, this just sounds like I'm whining. I don't, I don't know why this is such a big deal to me. I've had some personal experience with that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> some, some recent personal experiences of that type. That's right. So, um, so yeah, it's it, it is all small stuff. Right. Yeah. It is. It mostly is. But but please write it down, and, and it really works. Right. Enjoy what you have. This is similar to. I like this one a lot. Um, it it ties in with the one uh, two before this about doing things for other people instead of just doing things for yourself. Um, focus on what you have, not on what you don't have. Most of us tend to spend a lot more time thinking about what we don't have. Oh my goodness. And, it, and it, that is another thing that, that, that <laughs> starts in childhood and parents do it to kids. Uh, how many times have you met with a, with a kid and they are giving their parents a, a heck of a time because they want some video game where there's something that they want. And you know, at home they have about 70 video games, <laughs> but there's just this one that they want. Right. Well, when they get that one game, they're going to finish it and they're going to, you know, complete the game, you know, in a couple of days. But it doesn't matter. They, that's the game that they want. They have all these other things that they can do. But enjoy what you have. 
you know, we, we have, oftentimes we have much more than we think that we have. Um, again, it kind of goes back to that. Uh, we don't really see what's around us. Right. Um, but yeah, enjoy what you have. Right. Um, if you're always looking at the next purchase, you're never enjoying the one that you have. You know? um, and, and there's a term for this. It's called the hedonic treadmill. You know, yeah. hedonism is pleasure. So there's this hedonic treadmill that you're constantly pursuing, but you're never enjoying what you have. You know, um, um, and and I think especially in this country where acquisition is so vital to us. You know, that well, when we got married, I had a one carat diamond, but you know, we've been married 15 years. I've maybe just had three carat diamond now. You know, and then I need to fork it. And I'm thinking, what what about the one you have? You know, what about what about the the treasure? of this was given to you at a particular time in your life. And that's what gives it value is this was the ring that was used to, but no, let's put that in a drawer and get a bigger one for what reason, okay? Um, enjoy what you have, okay? Get off the hedonic treadmill and enjoy what you have. Curiously, there's evidence to suggest, there's research evidence, evidence that suggests that the more things you have, the worse you feel. I, I don't know, I've never, it's that's counterintuitive it seems like the more but when you think about it um you hear people say what what's really important in life is relationships and family and that sort of stuff you know nobody ever nobody ever when you're on your deathbed you, you most people don't wish they would have spent more time at the office most people wish they would have spent more time at home right and i think that um you know the and this is always something that um, people who want more things, um, you know, they kind of roll their eyes when other people say this, but, you know, the more that you have, oftentimes, the, the more stress you have, because then you're worried about protecting that stuff, and you're worried about where you're going to put that stuff, and then, you know, your, your, air, your space is disorganized and cluttered, and, you know, when you're thinking about things, and, and then I need more space. Like, the whole idea of... Um, storage um storage shit storage facilities you have so many things that you can't even keep it where you can use it you have to store it away um you know it, it's it, it's 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 an unusual um and difficult thing to understand you know right. why so much stuff yeah my parents had a very simple life they all had small houses and not a lot of stuff but they had a very rich family life they had lots of friends did a lot. They had people over. My mother would have 40 or 50 people in this little tiny house on Christmas Eve. And everybody looked forward to that. The entire family knew where they were going to be on Christmas Eve in this little probably 11 or 1200 square foot house. You know, it's at the third the size of the house that we live in now. And yet they had this rich that I don't have. I don't have the rich friends that and friendships and family relationships that they have. Absolutely. And I envy that. I envy what they had. I'm no better off than they are. Yeah. They had a very rich life with lots and lots of friends. Absolutely. So, yep. um, if you don't, you know, my kids laugh at me because of the cell phone. Yeah. I have a, I have an iPhone. Uh -huh. What are we up to? Number 12? Um, yeah, I think there's a 12 out now. So I'm halfway there. Because I have a six. I have an iPhone six, and yet I don't need, I don't need any. I don't think I need anything else that's in the seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, or twelve. I mean, I can take pictures, and it's perfectly. You are you laughing at me? No, I'm. Uh, Bernie, 
Yeah. Is that some derision? Do I do I sense a little derision there? No, I um I I was thinking of something else. What do you what so what bought what model number? What are you using? Probably I have, a lot of I have an XR. You I have, what? I have an iPhone XR. So it's a it's a few years back still. Yeah, right. And you don't really need you can get the next one, but do you really need the next one? You know, you don't. I mean, um, so, I mean, eventually this will die, you know, and I'll have to replace it. They're going to have like eight cameras on the back. I don't understand why. <laughs> you know, I know a guy who went out and bought 12 um, iPhone 5s, you know, the, the smaller ones. Uh -huh. And so when they die, he just throws it out and he fires up another one because he likes the size and the feel. And he said, I don't, I don't care about the rest of it. I don't need it. So he has a drawer full. His, his sock drawer is filled with... 12, well now they sound about nine, he has about nine left. Because <laughs> I said, we were eating, we were at a restaurant. I said, what are you doing with that? And he said, and he gave me the story uh, that he just, he has a whole collection of them. And that's because that's all he needs. There you go. So, okay. And he can afford more, but he just chooses not to. Um, okay, and the last one is. Monitor your uh, thoughts. Yeah. And this goes back to the negative self-talk. Right. Yeah, um, you, you have to think about how you're thinking, very meta. Right, um, yeah, we can, we can change, if we change how we, how we talk to ourselves, if we change our internal monologue, we can change how we feel. Um, you can't just change how you feel, you have to do something else. You have, to, you have to talk to yourself differently, you have to become more mindful, you have to start changing things, you have to do things, you have to do more things for other people. So that's what we talk about when we say this takes effort. It, you, you can't just talk yourself into it, you have to talk to yourself differently, but it doesn't happen automatically. There are things that you have to do. And if you want to become more content, if you want to start changing your life, here are five be, this is the beginning of that journey. Use these five things. There's much more than you can do. You could you could go to the Himalayas and become you could study Buddhism, but but most of us aren't going to do that. But here's the start. Here's your starting point. Okay, get an app, get something that works, and start doing these five things. So um, the other thing he says, and and this is a mistake that we all make, and I, and I know we do, we all do this. We tend to have happy thoughts for very short periods of time. We tend to have brief, happy thoughts. And what we should be doing is finding ways to, to sustain those healthy, healthy thought, happy thoughts. Because again, the tendency is to have negative thoughts. Right. Okay? So what we have to do is we have to work to sustain happy thoughts. And we do that in this more effortful way. Doing, for example, get rid of the negative self-talk, but then do these positive things. Yeah. Yeah, because there, there is a direct relationship between our thoughts and how we feel, our emotions. Mm -hmm. right? So if you're monitoring your thoughts and you, you can say, even if, you know, even if the negative thoughts come in there you, and you, but you recognize and you say, oh my gosh, I was really just talking really bad about myself there. Um, you know, things aren't as bad as I feel like they are. Um, as soon as you start to do that, you start to experience change. There's a change right. in emotions immediately. There's a change in your, your sense of motivation and your drive to do things. And I, I think that the, the biggest pushback that I get from patients when I talk to them about this is that they say that it feels like they are lying to themselves or that they're being fake or that it feels strange. Um, and, and 
And it does feel that way at first, because, you know, I mean, if you go your entire life um, thinking one way, and mm -hmm. you're, you're trying to force yourself to think a different way, of course, it's going to feel fake and strange and, and unusual. But the, the likelihood is that there are natural times when you feel that way. There are natural times when you feel positive and happy and, and you have good self-talk and everything. So all you're doing is you're, you're making those naturally occurring things happen when you want them to happen. So that's right. being deliberate. Right, that's right. Um, and that's what most people say. And you're right, we're asking you, we're asking you to do something that you've not done before. So it's going to feel strange. It's going to feel, you're going to feel a little bit silly. You might even feel stupid. When we talk to most people about meditation or being more mind, mindfulness or meditation, everybody has the same picture. Most of us have the same picture in our head of the person sitting cross-legged, you know, um, you know, the kind of thing you see on TV. That's not what we're talking about here. We're saying to you, find what works for you. If, if, being, if taking a, a walk outside while you rehearse these thoughts, then do that. If it's using a, an app, do that. If it's closing your eyes and clearing your head, do that. It's whatever works for you, but it, ha but it has to be mindful and you have to practice it. You have to do it every day. You're not going to get good at this. But as everybody says, as all these articles say, it, but it's, you have nothing to lose, <laughs> you know, and, and, and you have much to gain. Um, so go ahead and try it. Uh, you're going to be you're going to be doing it privately. Nobody's going to know that you're doing it. Um, but um, find out what work, find what works for you and do it. But do it every day. Get better and better and better and better at it. Right. Yeah. You know, you're not going to, you never regret losing a new, learning a new skill. Right, right. You, you never regret, you may not, um, it may continue to be difficult, it may be a challenge, but, you know, we're always better when we have a new tool. A new, right, right. Yeah, you're, this is a huge improvement. I mean, because again, the natural tendency is to say negative things about yourself. And right. so what, what we're going to do is, is pull ourselves away from that natural tendency to a happier place, a, a place of more content, uh, contentment. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Give it a try. Give it a try. All right. Well, that is it then for today. Um, right. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid. <laughs>